Hello, catfish people. Welcome to the Dieter Melhorn Fishing Podcast. Well, hello, folks. I hope everybody is having a great day, whatever day it is that you happen to be listening here to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Dieter Melhorn, the Dieter Melhorn of the Dieter Melhorn Fishing Podcast. Thinking about changing the name. Thinking about changing it to something besides fishing. Maybe Dieter Melhorn Outdoors. Just Dieter Melhorn. I don't know. I've been kicking that around. I go through this every year uh, when hunting season comes around, it seems like. Uh, I started out with the Dieter Melhorn Fishing on my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, I like that because 95% of what I do is uh, it's fishing. Uh, fishing related, fishing oriented. But there's a part of me that... I like the hunting stuff too, and sadly, the hunting just doesn't fit into the whole dynamic of the way the algorithm and all that stuff works, but I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm sticking with fishing, and if I do hunting, I'll do hunting, and it'll work or it won't work, so, but yeah, I get on this kick every year. About the time fall rolls around, about the time October comes around, about the time I'm sitting in a tree stand, and about the time I realize I like making those videos too, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. Give me your thoughts. Give me your feedback. Uh, if you want to leave me some feedback, go to my website, DieterMelhornFishing.com, and there's a contact section on there where you can drop me an email. Uh, you can message me, whatever. Uh, it's a best way probably to get information to me. You can also go to Dieter Melhorn Fishing on Facebook, and uh, there's you know my page there. Drop a comment. I try to post up all of these podcasts on there, a link to them. And uh, feel free to add any comments. I get a lot of people that message me uh, privately with ideas, uh, things to think about, things to look at. And I really, really appreciate it. I I appreciate getting the feedback from people. It gives me a lot to think about, uh, gives me ideas, uh, keeps me motivated, lets me know that people like what's going on. Uh, Like I said, this podcast is new. This is very new. This is a few months old new. And... uh, I'm learning, learning my way around it, figuring out what works, figuring out what I like to do. And uh, I think there's a whole big, broad world of opportunity out there with this. Uh, I'm just learning the basics of it right now. And uh, maybe we can ramp the game up down the road sometime. We'll see. Uh, see how the uh, participation is, the involvement. And uh, it's a totally different group, I think, than who interacts on Facebook and who watches YouTube. Now, I think there's crossover people on each of those platforms. You know, they'll watch videos and they'll listen to podcasts. But I think the group of people out there in the world that listen to podcasts uh, may be a little different. I do both, obviously. That's uh, so what got me interested in doing a podcast was listening to some of the outdoor podcasts out there. They're a great way to pass the time when you're driving down the road, uh, when you're on a flight, uh, when you're trying to escape the family in the living room, ducked over in the corner put your earbuds in and listen to it no i wouldn't do that that's bad that's bad uh but uh <laughs> it's a uh it's just a different format it's basically radio it's old school radio it's old school talk radio it's talk radio to a specific group i think that's the biggest thing plenty of talk radio out there that's politically oriented but if you want something that is outdoors oriented uh Usually you're down to maybe a weekend radio show in your area that happens to be on the air, or you try to find a podcast that uh, has something that's of your interest. So it's kind of what I'm doing, and uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Today is, uh, I've actually got a guest, and uh, talking about something that is uh, back into the 
more outdoor end of the world, but we did talk about some fishing stuff in here. And I'm talking with a taxidermist. It's a friend of mine, uh, Chris Melvin from Pinnock Taxidermy. He's down uh, outside of Great Falls, South Carolina. Uh, great taxidermist. I ran into him. He is near my hunt club, actually, uh, where we hunt at down there. And that's how I came across him. Uh, I had a friend who was a taxidermist up here near where I live, uh, fairly close to where I live, uh, in Bessemer City. Mike Grooms, great taxidermist, too. Uh, the problem was uh, a lot of these I kind of came across uh, Chris because I needed somebody kind of close to where I was at uh, and it's even gotten worse which I'll explain in a second here in uh, the past couple of years with just getting animals to them without having to drive 75 miles back to get something back when you're on a week-long hunting trip but uh, uh, what's happening made it even worse for people like me who live in North Carolina is the transportation of animals across state lines uh, or, or certain body parts. Uh, they've, they've got a new law recently went into effect, and you cannot take any type of brain matter, spinal, bone, anything across state line. Basically, if you go hunting like I do in South Carolina or in Kentucky, we have to completely bone out all of the meat that we bring back you can't bring it back in quarters you can't bring it back in sections it has to be taken completely off the bone and this presents an issue when what we used to do uh you shoot a deer in south carolina if i wanted to bring it to my buddy ever in bessemer city to get mounted we'd basically skin it back to the bottom of the skull cut the head off throw it in a bag put it on ice and we would you know bring it up there a couple of days later you could keep it on ice in a bag keep it nice and dry and uh, you can't do that anymore. That would be illegal because the brain and the skull is still inside of the head. So you are forced at that point to, if you want to obey the law, totally cape out the deer. And that basically means cutting it all the way back. I mean, basically skinning it, skinning the head, which is a very tedious and meticulous job that I don't even do. I leave that up to a taxidermist to do that. Uh, because you can really screw up a mount doing that. The reason for this is uh, chronic wasting disease, which is a uh, sickness that deer, elk, uh, those type animals have. Uh, it basically, uh, it kills them. It's a, it's a fatal disease. Once they get it, they die. And uh, it's spread through tissue. Uh, and the thinking is, and I'm no biologist, I'm not giving you the best explanation, but the thinking is this on the biomatter from the deer being left somewhere. If you leave bones, tissue, anything attached to the brain, spinal cord, uh, bone marrow, the belief is, the theory is, is that this stuff can deposit into the soil where these bones or body parts are dumped. This organism whatever you want to call it lives in can live in the ground now this is not theorized this is proven it can live in the soil in the ground in the dirt and then at some point be transferred to the deer now it, it all of this is possible it is horribly unlikely but it is possible and the bottom line is it can lead to the rapid long distance spread of this disease very quickly right now there are no cases of it in south carolina no cases of it in north carolina and they're trying to keep it that way there are some cases in tennessee uh or at least there was one that showed up uh 
and and bear with me folks i'm giving a very rudimentary explanation of this but the bottom line is is that they are trying to prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease to other states and that's the reason for doing this south carolina has even went as far as to ban deer urine and if you don't hunt you may not know this but a lot of people a lot of hunters will use deer urine as a masking scent or something to attract deer they will put the urine out from a doe they believe it will attract a buck or at least cover their scent up that's now illegal to use deer urine from another state uh, because the same thing it could lead to the spread of different diseases that are shared by deer so they've actually blocked that you have to either use synthetic deer urine or urine collected from a deer in south carolina now how are they going to know the difference i don't really know i don't think they really know themselves but i think they're just taking action to do something to try to stop this stuff from happening so that's kind of what's made it's a long roundabout way of explaining that uh it's changed a lot of stuff for taxidermists, uh, especially for guys that are, it's probably created more work for guys out of state because they are, a lot of people can't transport, you know, animals back. And uh, for some guys like, you know, along the state lines and stuff, they're getting more work because of it. But anyway, I decided to sit down with Chris, uh, went over to his shop and uh, it's a uh, cool little shop that he's got. There are it's lined with deer heads, uh, mounted deer everywhere, waiting for people to pick up. And then there are metal cables that string from one wall to another that have all of the racks off the deer that are going to be mounted. What happens is they basically saw these things off of a deer's head after it is skinned out. And it's just a base, a little piece of the skull, a little bit bigger than your hand that the antlers are attached to. He puts a tag on them puts them up on that rack, matches that tag up to what they call the cape, which is the skin off of the deer's head that you actually see on the wall, which will be put across a styrofoam form at some point and stitched up, made look real pretty and made look like a real deer. It's a fascinating thing to see, fascinating process, a fascinating smell is the best thing to describe it. It's not a smell of death, but it's a smell that is different. Now, there is a smell of death when you go upstairs. He has a room to where he has, um, uh, let me back up. A lot of people will not get a deer mounted traditionally, like uh, you see with the eyeballs, the ears, and all that. They will do a skull mount. Some people call it a European mount. There's some different names for it. Basically, it's the bare skull of the deer and the antlers on it. Uh, it's got a real cool look, kind of, a, I don't know, a Western look, old school look. Um, and the skull is very white and almost bleached out and uh, the way that happens is these skulls uh, basically are stripped of the skin as much meat as they can but they still got a lot of stuff on them they still got a lot of nastiness uh, a lot of stuff you can't get off of there they're put into a aquarium basically a big glass tank uh, like you would put fish in and inside of that aquarium are beetles and these are flesh-eating, meat-eating beetles that will eat every bit of the meat, the raw, decaying, dead meat, off of that skull. It's a uh, fascinating process. Uh, it's hot. Uh, they, they thrive in the hot conditions. And uh, the, the 
let's just say that the beetles can't eat the meat faster than it decays. So there is a smell of death and decay going on up there. But it's a uh, very, very cool process that he has going on. So he's got a lot going on in this place. He mounts deer, he mounts fish, he mounts birds. He does it all. And uh, he's uh, a, a lot more humble than he needs to be about what he does because he does excellent work. But let's get on and uh, let's listen to the conversation that I had with Chris Melvin of Pin Oak Taxidermy. Give me your background. How did you wind up becoming a taxidermist? You didn't, you hadn't done this your entire life. This is something I've always wanted to do. I mean, you know, since I was a little boy, I got books like, uh, I forgot uh, the name of the books, but uh, I ordered them off of eBay. It was, uh, I think the dates were, were like 1863 is when it first started and everything. Yeah. They wrapped birds with twine and stuff like that. And, I just always wanted to get into it. And uh, finally, uh, I work at the Duracell Battery Company. It was my main job. And they come up with a weekend shift. All right, when they come up with the weekend shift, you work Friday, you work Saturday 12 hours, and Sunday 12 hours, you're off Monday through Friday. Well, what's a hunter and a fisher going to do Monday through Friday, you know? It's like having a fireman's yeah, job right, or right. something. Well, it couldn't got any better, you know. So what I did was I ended up uh, a buddy of mine done taxidermy work and said, I need some help Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. Well, that top it off because when doing taxidermy work with him, the main thing we always done is we hunted before we started doing the taxidermy work. Yeah. And when we got through in the afternoons doing the taxidermy work, we hunted again. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a dream job. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to, like I say, being off Monday through Friday, you got paid. Yeah. You hunted, you mounted deer and stuff. And I worked with him about 14 years. And then after the 14 years working with him, uh, they, uh, you know, pretty much eliminated the weekend shift job. That made me sick. I was about to cry, you know. I got this weekend shift job, you know, and then they're going to take it away because I was the first one signed up for it. They said, who's going to work on the weekends? Me, you know. I volunteered for it first. But anyway, I ended up, when I went back to Duracell full-time, Monday through Friday, you know, I had uh, six weeks vacations. What you gonna do with your vacation? So I decided to go to uh, Wisconsin at uh, Dan Reinhardt School of Taxidermy. Oh, okay. So it's like a four week class. Yeah. So I ended up going two weeks one year and then two weeks the next year. It was like birds and fish one week and then deer and small animals the next week. Next, next term. But, uh, and then you know, I started, uh, I knew I was going to retire pretty soon. You know, I had 34 years and I was 52 years old. Mm -hmm. I ain't working all my life. So I thought. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I ended up uh, retiring at 52. Well, I was about to kill myself. I was working third shift and I said, well, I'm going to do a little taxidermy work on the side. This is mm -hmm. going to be just a hobby. Yeah. So it turned out to be just more than a hobby. So my wife said, you're going to kill yourself. You get two hours sleep a day. You work in third shift, and then you come in here doing taxidermy work and everything. You got to quit one of them. She's a nurse, and she's uh, ten years younger than me. So she said, "I tell you what, I got the insurance. You got plenty enough to time to retire. Just go ahead and retire and do taxidermy work. We'll make it somehow." Well, yeah, we did. It turned out to uh, being two years behind on taxidermy work. So, and that's something that. Uh, well, let me ask you this first. 
do you have the first thing that you ever did and how bad was it? Because mm. I know if I look back at my no. videos for my fishing channel, if I look at yeah. the first one, it's pretty hideous compared to yeah. what I do now. No, not, I mean, I, I do have the first thing I ever tried. Yeah. And it's uh, actually my daughter's deer. Okay. And uh, compared to now, I mean, you know, it, it was okay. Yeah. But, you know, I did pretty good because I had worked with the guy over there about 14 years before I went out on my own, you know. You weren't like the typical I, guy. I, I just didn't start out just doing taxidermy work. I had helped somebody. Right. And, you know, and the main thing about this business here. Is, is not doing the work, it's learning how to screw, I mean, how to fix what you screw up. Yeah. Cause uh, you would not believe the stuff that people come in here with. You know, they come in with yeah. a shoulder, on a shoulder mount and they got a deer cut off right here at the neck. What you gonna do? Some people I know, they don't know any better. So what yeah. I do is said, all right, we'll take care of you. And when they go out the door, I'll just saw the horns off and get a spare hide or something. You Find know. another cape for it Find or something. Find another cape or something. And they never know the difference, you know. Yeah. Some of these guys, these old timers especially, one brought one in the other day, split him all the way up to the neck. Man, I want him. I want. I want a shoulder mount. But I got to get all the meat out of there. I can't waste no meat now. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you see some. And uh, I mean, I've been through and seen some stuff in here that you wouldn't believe. Yeah, and there is a, a for people that don't know, there is a certain way that you have to cape out, as it's called. Oh yeah, a deer. Most, you most, just most don't. Definitely. There's a, there's a lot to it. What's your suggestion as far as some guy's new to hunting? He shoots something he wants to get mounted. What's mm. the what's the best thing? And just bring the don't try it yourself. Yeah. That is that is number one thing that I can tell you. Don't ever don't ever try to keep one out yourself. Yeah. Not unless you've done it with somebody. Take it to a processor or somebody that knows what they're doing. Because mm -hmm. I mean you know you get a, a trophy of a lifetime. I don't want him to look like Frankenstein where we had to put stitches all the way up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or have to replace the cape. You want as much of the deer as, as you can that's yours because, you know, it's just, uh, you know, if you don't know, let somebody show you first. Yeah. Don't go by what you think. I mean, you know, I've seen some stuff come in the door and it's pretty bad. What's the process like for mounting a deer? Take people through it. A lot of people don't have a clue. They think it's quote unquote stuffed. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, what, what exactly happens? Well, people are bringing in to me, uh, they, I'll go pick it up from the processor. They, the processor does what they call caping out. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't really cape it out. They just, and for people that don't know, you say processor, that is somebody who processes, processes the deer, deer, takes it, turns it into burgers, yeah. steaks, whatever. That's right, that's right. They don't really, they say they're caping it out, but they're not really caping it out. Caping it out, they'll, they'll skin it down to where I can cape it out. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what I'll do is I'll get the head and the skin just cut off right behind the shoulders. Mm -hmm. Just enough to, and sometimes I'll get the whole skin and have to cut it off myself. Mm -hmm. Then I'll have to end up taking and uh, doing a Y incision behind the, the head and taking the skin off. I mean, we got them laying around here and and uh, once I take the skin off you have to be very careful around the eyes the tear ducts and stuff like that right there there's a lot of a lot of places I mean you can screw up you screw something up around the face and then you're gonna have to replace the hide or whatever or you're gonna have stitches showing in the face but then after I take 
and uh, skin it, the hide off. I'll roll the hide up, put it in a freezer, and I'll have a ticket that's a two-part ticket. It's got the guy's name, number, and, and date and everything on it. What we'll do is we'll tear one side of the ticket off, put it with the cape so we'll know that's his cape. Then we'll take and saw the antlers off and uh, it'll have the other ticket on it. And in the books will show that where the, uh, you know, where the hide is and where the antlers are. All right, when we get it out to mount it. Mm -hmm. Now, let me interrupt right there. Okay. This is for people that we're actually taping this in his taxidermy shop. And that sounds kind of simple. Yeah, you got a cape, you got antlers. Yeah. But what people can't see in here is, well, you don't have that many up now. You probably got a bunch up. I got a hundred something upstairs. Yeah. From, there from are literally cables with just rack after rack after rack. There's a you got to have your crap together here to yeah. keep up with all yeah. this stuff. We've got thirteen different sections in the wire with numbers on them, with uh, probably thirty or forty antlers in each section mm. to narrow it down to where, you know, his his antlers is in on line 13 or 12 or whatever. Yeah. But it is a, we've got nine freezers with numbers on the freezers. So we don't have to dig and hunt the capes and stuff. So, you know, we narrow it down to where we can find it. You know, it, that, uh, we did that after a few years of digging for, you dig for one, where you think one one hide is, it's gonna be in the last freezer you look. You're gonna, you're gonna yeah, do you a whole bunch it, of it, it ain't never gonna be where you thought it was. Yeah. But you've got, a, it's, it's pretty much a lot of, the book work and, and uh, paperwork and stuff is very important mm -hmm. in this business right here. I mean, you know, as far as finding locations, everything, and then, you know, somebody paid the deposit mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, this book work is. Yeah. Keeping up with stuff. Yeah, keeping now, up with the stuff. How long does that process take? Now, obviously, one comes in, you don't jump on and do it. You, you, no, there's right, a waiting that's right. list. It is. You, you've got a waiting list. But if you had to say you had the ability to, one comes in and out the door, and that's the only thing you worked on. How long would that take to do that? If I just done one when it comes in the door, we're looking at five or six hours on one deer. Mm -hmm. What we will do on that is we'll we'll pull that hide out of the freezer. We have to put that hide on a fleshing board, flesh all the meat off all the way down to the skin. And then once we get all it, we'll have to turn the ears inside outwards, put a bondo in the ears, and then we'll order form. The first thing we do before we skin it out is get measurements. That's very important. Mm -hmm. That way you know what, uh, what size, uh, mannequin that you're going to have to have for that deer because different deer different deer, sizes different, different yeah. size that's right uh you'll get three measurements you'll go from the corner of the eye to the nose and normal deer is around seven inches mm -hmm. and then you'll get one right behind the ears and then one three inches down and then that's the way the books you know you order your forms right you'll look in if somebody wants a right left mm -hmm. semi-sneak full sneak I mean, you know, there's, there's so many different, from when I started to now, there's hundreds of different type poses and forms. And I mean, it's just, I mean, they come up with all kinds of stuff now. Yeah. I mean, you know, the taxidermy book right now, I just got one in a while ago. The taxidermy book right now just came in. 
that is just on forms. And you folks can't see this thing. It's but, an inch and a half thick of yeah. stuff. And it's for pretty much about any animal that has hair, fins, or feathers. Yeah, they right. probably got a form for it. Now, that's you right. just don't do I mean, African, uh, anything. Yeah. Exotics. I mean, I mean, these books have got it. Yeah. Now, yeah. you don't just do deer. You no. do pretty much. We do fish. I mean, we, we pretty much will do mostly anything. I try not to get into the super big stuff, but it's because mm -hmm. it's real time consuming. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is like uh, like a doctor. We kind of specialize in a few things. Right. I mean, you know, we could do it all, but once you, it's like turkeys, for instance. I don't do turkeys. I send them out to a mm -hmm. guy that he's one of the best best there are in the United States doing turkeys. And they're really good because I got yeah. two of them yeah. that you got he, to. This guy, I mean, he, he is awesome. He can do four turkeys in a day. Yeah. It'll take me four days to do one turkey. <laughs> That's because I don't deal with them on a daily basis. And right. the more you deal with something on a daily basis. You get a routine I, down you, for you it. You get a routine. Yeah. Routine down pat yeah. yeah now talk about fish for a minute obviously mine's a fishing channel but i hunt yeah. too but the fish thing what if somebody catches a fish out there let's just deal with with scaled fish first right you catch a fish and you go wow that's a big crappie that's a big bass that's a big gar i want to get it mounted what do they need to do with that fish immediately after well if you go out there to the pond you catch a um, say a bass lifetime fish the first thing you need to do is you get all your pictures and stuff even in the heat even with deer and stuff you get all your pictures and stuff took care of them take them take care of them fast and get them in a freezer cooler somewhere because a fish a deer anything the more they lay out the more you're prone to lose scales or lose hair mm -hmm. uh, it's according on the temperatures now fish what i suggest you go down there, you catch an eight to nine pound bass, you come back up, you take that bass, and a lot of people say wrap them in newspapers and put them in the freezer. No, that's the wrong thing to do. Newspapers promote freezer burn. Okay. So what you do is you'll lay your bass out, take you a wet or a damp towel, and wrap that fish good in that wet or damp towel. Get you a couple black trash bags and put it in it and wrap it real good and then freeze it. And that fish will last two, three, I pull them out four years later. Okay. And that fish is still good. But if you wrap him in that newspaper like they used to, mm -hmm. he might not last a month, month and a half and he will be freezer burnt. You know, the main thing is you want to keep him being freezer yeah. burnt. Now how much of the actual fish is in the mount in the end? What all do you actually take off of it? You will, uh, you'll get, a fish is like a like a like a deer and stuff. You'll get the measurements to start with. You will take and uh, you'll split him down the back. Or say you want a right turn, you'll split him on the left side, and then you'll take all the meat out of the center of him. Everything. What you've got is just a, a skin, just mm -hmm. just like uh, just like a deer. And you will go up in the head. You'll have to go up in the head and get the brains and the, the eyes and and then the, on a bass, on the eyes, the cheeks and stuff of a bass is full of meat. You've got to get all that out. I've seen taxidermists leave it in there or somebody come up and say, hey man, my fish is turning yellow. Why is my fish turning yellow? Well, that's because somebody didn't dig all the meat out. Yeah. And then you got to repaint them again. But anyway, you, to keep a fish from oil leaking, you, you've got to, and you soak him in a pres preservative. 
they have a preservative, the same thing you soak a deer in mm-hmm. to get the greases and oils out of it, you know. Uh, and then you'll order the mannequins and stuff, and you'll put a glass eye in it, and mm-hmm. you'll pack the cheap. What we do on the cheeks, we'll pack them with a uh, paper mache, mm-hmm. and then we'll put the eye in to keep the cheek full and, and put the form in in the back. So is the actual skull still in the fish? Yeah, the majority of the skull is in there, but you have to bust in there and make sure you get the brains out of the skull and everything. Gotcha. Okay. It's a... And for three or four days, you're going to smell like fish. Yeah. I mean, I don't... You know, like I tell my wife, that's the smell of money. Just, just like, you know. <laughs> and there's a smell of yeah, there's yeah. a smell of money in this yeah. building. Oh yeah, it's Smoke a unique smell. When, when that... people come in, they go, "Ooh, I mean, you know, hey, that's the smell of money, man." You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it now, is. I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. Tell people a little bit about why you can't mount a traditional skin mount on a catfish. The reason you can't mount a skin mount on a catfish is it skin is like like human skin. Mm-hmm. It will tear, pull, wrinkle. I mean, I'm. You might could, but it would be one of the worst tasks you'd ever want to tackle. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen a skin mount on a catfish or whatever because of the stretch and stuff. And and you've got to get all the meat off the backside. And when you do, that skin is going to tear. Mm-hmm. That skin is real thin. It's going to tear. It's and once it tightens up, it's going to tear, pull, whatever. But what most people do is they'll get a, a girth size and a weight and a length mm-hmm. and do reproductions, which is made of fiberglass. And these guys out here today that do uh, reproductions, they're, I mean, they're, they're good. They're great. And you can get those for a lot of, uh, a lot of the ocean fish are yeah, the same way. Yeah, a majority, like sailfish and stuff you'll see in mm-hmm. restaurants and stuff, that's all they are is, is reproductions. Yep. And a lot of people like to turn the fish back loose. Absolutely. And turning the fish back loose, you, you get a, uh, you know, you get your fish, your memories on the wall, and you may get to catch them again. He may be bigger. Yeah. You know? What is, uh, what's your take on people wanting to get into this business? Is this a dying art or do people get into it and don't realize what is involved and do what's your take on it? Because I know there's some people that may listen and go, man, I'd like to do that. You got some young right. person out there that may be interested in doing it. What's some advice, pitfalls, all that kind of stuff for this type of business? Uh, really, this is a dying art. Uh, you have a bunch of people that want to get into it. But once they find out how much work it is, they don't last. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you have some that get in to stay. That's why there's so very few people in taxidermists now. The old taxidermists quit, and you got some new young guys coming in and everything. Mm-hmm. But you got to be really dedicated to it. There's a lot of good schools. You can look up a lot of good schools. I went to Dan Reinhardt in in, in uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Really loved it. Those guys in those schools. Uh, one-on-one i mean you know he might have six people but you know when they get around and and showing you this stuff they make sure that nobody's left behind they go to the table and check everybody's mm-hmm. work everybody's at the same pace yeah. nobody's left behind. you got some good teachers out there these days and it's very profitable yeah the only thing and the only reason that i probably didn't do it earlier and and stick with it is you ain't got no 401k not unless you uh do it yourself you got to have you got to be married to somebody that's got some in, uh, insurance benefits and stuff like that right there. Mm-hmm. That's the only downfall is the benefits and the insurance and stuff. But 
you make enough money, I mean, you you can get your own. Oh yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but it's nice to be, you know, my wife's a nurse, so you know she's got good benefits and stuff. So that that really really helped out. And then I I spent thirty four years, like I say, making Duracell batteries. So you know, I had my option to keep my insurance and yeah. stuff, which I didn't, you know, with her having it. Yeah. What uh what about everything with chronic wasting disease and all the laws and so a lot of stuff's been coming up in different states now how was that complicated because what people the main not know this say you kill a deer somewhere right you've got to bring back that skull cap with the antlers on it right it's attached to the brain you got to get there's what has that done to the whole in there what cwd is chronic wasting disease for those people that don't know it is a disease that deer, uh, elk, those type of animals have that can be spread through bone matter, uh, right. brain matter, that type thing. And while, yep. while it's highly, they, they say it's highly unlikely that you can get it from the bones, it does live in the soil from what I understand. Right. And the big fear is, is that you bring deer bones back with CWD in them, you dump them out here in the woods, deer eat something that's right. around and it gets spread. Right. What has that done to you guys? Because you are dealing with the brains and or, well, you're not, you're dealing with something that touches the brains. Right. How has all that changed in the past few years? Uh, here, I get a few deer from out west and stuff like that right there. I mean, you know, uh, we always use gloves and stuff and protective gear yeah. as it is. Yeah. Especially when we're dealing with small animals, you got the same thing with rabies. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't. Somebody loved to bring you a coon that had been hit by a car. Well, he was trying to eat that car tire coming down the road because he had rabies. You I don't never even know. thought about that. Wow. You don't. Yeah. You, don't you, you, you don't never know. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, I cut myself one time, uh, skinning a coon out. You know, I had to call up and heck and stuff. And they, luckily, I already done froze it. And like he said chances of getting it was slim enough yeah not dead yet but anyway you got when handling any animal and especially wild hogs we get a lot of wild hogs and stuff too uh you can't can't ever be too careful i mean wild pigs carry all kind of disease they got a stuff. lot of intestinal yeah. stomach oh, yeah. stuff i mean that, uh, you know they, they they carry some really bad stuff so but the deer get back to the deer coming across the line and stuff you know they're just trying to uh uh, be safe as far as other deer getting it and mm -hmm. stuff. I know this year they went to the lures. You can't use lure, like, not unless it was made in South Carolina. You can't get out there and use deer lure this year because you know, mm -hmm. coming from another state. Yeah, for people, what, that, people yeah. that don't know that South Carolina new law they passed where a lot of hunters use deer urine as an attractant cover scent and you can't use it now in South Carolina Unless it's synthetic or it came from a South Carolina deer. So that's, that's, right, that's right. So yeah, that's right. And you know, uh, a lot of people want to try to import deer down here because they want a bigger deer. We want mm -hmm. to move one from up north. I mean, you know, uh, they're just trying to protect our deer herd, and you know, it might seem like a dumb rule or whatever, but you don't never know. Yeah. You can never be too safe. I the mean, biggest too thing sorry, is you know. hunters out of state if they're bringing something. And they definitely need to be aware of the law because some of these places set up checkpoints at, oh, yeah. at the state line and we track had some a, of this uh, stuff. I, I know there was a guy last year that brought one into Spartanburg and he brought the whole deer back. And oh, brought entire... it up and showing it off at a check station. 
Well, they ended up taking his deer. I don't know if he ended up getting it back or not, but right. he's got a 180-inch deer laying there, and he wanted to show his deer off. It was froze. Yeah. You know, but still, you you got to make sure that they're skin out, uh, antlers off of them, brains out, spinal cord out, the whole works. Yeah. Like I say, they take that very serious. Yeah, and you can't even and if you'll it. see, you'll see the other states, what it's done up there. Yeah. It, I mean... You know, you can see their point. I can see their point. Yeah, very cool. Because I'm not, you know, our deer herd is just now coming back from, you know, years of downfall. Now they're finally getting to level back out again, and I don't want to see them knock, knocked out again, you know, or yeah. something like that. So. Well, what's in it for what's your future and all this? You're going to keep doing this for a good long while? You, you, you well, keep saying you want to do less, and then every time I come in, there's another yeah, 200 deer strength through you here. you got people that, you know, they, they stick with you. You know, they pretty much stick with you, and it's hard to tell them no, you know. But, yeah. You know, I did cut back 100 last year. So. Yeah. And, uh, but from what I hear, them 100 people have been calling me up saying, hey, man, this deer has been in the freezer since last year. My wife wants it out. <laughs> so... <laughs> I did uh, get probably a, a bunch of them. I've got a bunch of other people's got in their freezer. I just yeah. told them I didn't have room. Yeah. We'll put it in our freezer, you know. Yeah. Like, okay. But, yeah, I, I'm actually cutting back. And uh, I'm, finally my daughter has took interest in it after all these years. And she's working on small animals and stuff. And, hey, I mean, there's you get into it and do it right. Treat your customers right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll always come back to you, and it's, I mean, it can be enjoyable, but it's yep. like anything else. When you're working for the public, it can be a pain, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, any, any, anything like that. Can. Well, when somebody's trying to find a taxidermist, they can't always, not everybody's right here near Pin Oak Taxidermy. Yeah. What should they look for? What are, should they be looking at? Somebody that's new to, you know, what, and they, you go to some guy's showroom, he's got some yeah. deer. What do they need to be paying attention to? Because kind of at quick glance, you go, okay, that looks good. Yeah. Then you start getting up there and you start seeing potato chip ears. They look yeah. like Ruffles potato right. chip. What kind of stuff should a person look for? Uh, you need to keep. You need to look at the eyes. You need to look at the uh, round the mouth, and you need to look at the back of them. I've had them come in and you can stick your finger down the back where they've been split open or whatever. Yeah. And then if you go in a taxidermy shop and a man says I can get that thing back in three months or less. Go find you somebody else. Because yeah. if, a, if a taxidermist is not busy, then there's something wrong. Yeah. I mean, if he's a decent taxidermist, he should be backed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I've had guys that come in and say, hey, my guy says he can get it done in 30 days. And then they bring it to me and say, can you redo this deer? Mm -hmm. Then you're going to have to pay for it twice yeah. and get another cape. But you just, uh, I mean, and you, and you have friends and stuff. Like I say, you can pretty much, you know. And... Your highest taxidermy, your highest taxidermist is not always your best. Yeah. And your lowest is not always your worst. I always, I would suggest to hunt somebody in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, just because they charge more don't mean they're better. Mm -hmm. Just because they charge less don't mean they're any worse. I mean, you know, you've got guys that, uh, you know, if you like it, that's up to you. Yeah. I mean, you know. But, it's, but remember, it's going on your your wall for the rest of your life, sir. Yeah. One last thing. Yeah. Granddad's old deer that's hanging over in 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 the grandma's house, and they mm -hmm. dead and gone, and 
It, it, it's lived through, you know, a thousand packs of cigarettes and cigarette smoke in the house. Yellow. Yeah. Uh, what can you do for an old mountain? Is there anything that can be done there? Or like you said, you take a chance on some new yeah. guy and the yeah. eyeballs are looking in two different directions. Well, and, you take, for instance, I got three, matter of fact, up on my line right now that it was in a guy's barn and he wanted, uh, you know, it was a granddad's deer. So what we're going to end up doing is stripping the antlers and stuff off and remounting them, getting capes and remounting them. And, uh, you know, uh, if, the it, if it's an old deer and stuff, it's like an antique. Yeah. I wouldn't really remount it. You know yeah. what I mean? Put put your granddad's name up there and, you know, just keep it forever. Yeah. But, you know, some people do want them up to date yeah. and stuff like that. That's like taking a... Uh, an old gun and with a wire brush and cleaning it up. I mean, yeah. that's the worst thing you can do, but you know, some people's different, yeah. you know. Well, real quick, people want to get a hold of you. Pin How Oak. do they find you? Uh, we're on Facebook under Pin Oak Tax, Chris Melvin Pin Oak Taxidermy. A text is the best way to get a hold of us. There you go, folks. I want to thank Chris for uh, sitting down and talking with me uh, about taxidermy. Uh, he loves it. <laughs> he loves what he does. Spends a lot of time doing it. He's in that shop almost all the time. If you're in the uh, Piedmont area, upstate of South Carolina, you're looking for a good taxidermist, uh, check out Pin Oak Taxidermy. Pin Oak Taxidermy, if I can get it out there, P-I-N-O-A-K. Uh, he's around Great Falls. Uh, you can always reach out to me if you have a hard time finding him, but it's easy to find on Facebook. And uh, all you got to do is a Google search, and he'll pop up there for Pin Oak Taxidermy. Uh, but don't be in a hurry. Uh, as he was saying in the podcast, uh, he's pretty dang good at what he does, and uh, there's a wait. So uh, if you're in a hurry to get it, he's not your guy. Uh, I'll go and tell you that. And I've had a lot of stuff done by him and love him to death, but I don't get any breaks either. It's uh, it's going to be a year. It's going to be a year before you get it back. So uh that's almost become the uh, gauge now with a lot of the better taxidermists is uh, just how quick they're turning these things around. And a lot of these guys are backed up with work. So uh, it's a uh, it's a process. And uh, once deer season gets there, it can be a rush. Um, I mean, it's just a, a big influx of work. And there's no way you can get the number of deer turned around that he has in a short amount of time. So uh, check him out. And uh Hopefully this gives you some good information, especially if you fish. Uh, if you're a fisherman and you're looking to get something uh, mounted, uh, hopefully you were able to take away the difference there between some of the fish. There's the scale fish that do really well with skin mounts. And there's the other fish like, you know, I chase uh, catfish uh, that don't have scales. And really you need to get replicas made. And uh, quite honestly, uh, if you can get a replica made anyway, uh, release the fish. Get some measurements, uh, length and girth on it before you let it go, and you can get a replica made. Uh, I know people are kind of lean toward the, uh, you know, the skin mounts. I understand that. I've got a couple of stripers on the wall. I'm not going to lie. That look really beautiful, and uh, they're really hard to beat. But, uh, you know, when it comes to stuff like catfish, sharks, trout, marlin, uh, dolphin, those kind of things, uh, you really need to get a replica made. I mean, it's really the only way to go. And uh, it all comes down to, at that point, who can paint them the best. And uh, somebody like Chris does a, uh, that was one thing we didn't go into is, uh, and it's really hard to describe in video or in a podcast, but when they get done initially with getting the skin 
onto the form itself and it's sitting there and it's basically what you would call mounted uh the fish are pretty much gray i mean you look at them and they look like a black and white version you had this nice green bass with different shades of green and dark and black and you look at them and you're like dang what happened he's he's in he's in black and white he's in gray they lose all their color and uh it the 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 real art outside of making the thing look proportionally right and make sure it's not wrinkled and everything the real art comes in and painting those things and uh chris does a great job all the taxidermists out there who do fish uh that's where in my opinion uh the money is earned and how they're able to paint those things and make them look good that really is what separates the uh good guys the good fish taxidermists from the great ones so uh anyway check them out pin oak taxidermy chris melvin hit me up if you can't find them but it's easy to find on facebook so that's it for now folks hope you enjoyed it we'll catch you on the water